Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So, yeah, I come to you from uh, Winter Haven. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. As we give Justin uh, a number of much-needed weeks off, uh, glad that he'll be back uh, this coming week. But what I want to do this morning, I think it should be on the screen there, uh, is talk to you about two things. Uh, And I'm going to use two psalms to do that. Uh, Repentance and faith, uh, which incidentally are not just things that you come into the Christian life with, but they're the, of course, beginning, but also the middle and the end. Uh, We never lose these two. Uh, And we're going to use Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 as our framework for that. So I'd invite you to read along with me. Uh, I think they'll be on the screen uh, behind us here. Uh, But I'm going to read these uh, two Psalms in turn. So hear God's word. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And then from Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, these two psalms are the beginning of a section of psalms uh, called the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and this was a section of the psalms that uh, the people of God would sing every year uh, on their way up to Jerusalem. Uh, now, I've, I've never been to Israel, I've never been to Jerusalem, but they say it's very obvious when you're in the area, Jerusalem is uh, the highest point in the area. So the pilgrims would begin to see the city, and as they began to see the city, uh, as they approached, uh, usually making their way up, they would begin to sing. And they began with these two psalms. Uh, the temple, uh, as you may or may not be aware, was, of course, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, And so the ascent to the city had a metaphorical or a symbolic sense as well. They were going up to God. So as they were going up to God, they would sing their hearts and their minds upward toward heaven as they physically went up toward the city. And they would do this uh, each year in various times of the year because the calendar was arranged uh, by festival, by uh, times to celebrate or commemorate various acts of God in the history of the people of Israel. Jesus himself went up, and uh, as Christians, and if you're tuning in, you're not a Christian, or you're unsure, you're investigating Christianity, uh, it's easy to think of life as a journey. I think we can all agree life does have a journey-type feel to it, right? 
Uh, and if you're on a road, you're typically headed to some destination. There's times of wonder, there's times of triumph, there's times of valleys, fears, anxiety. And what the Psalms do, particularly these two, as we look at the framework of repentance and faith, is they, they provide us a framework. They help us journey along. Uh, there's a great book on the Psalms that I would recommend to you, written by uh, Eugene Peterson, a pastor for many, many years. Uh, and the name of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I'm going to mention it a couple of times uh, this morning, but he says this. He says, these are songs of transition. They're brief hymns that provide courage and support and inner direction for getting us where we need to be or to get to in Jesus Christ. And so part of the goal for us is that as we journey, we have something to orient us, right? Uh, and so we're going to zero in on Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 under the two headings, uh, repentance and faith. You see them there. These are not just for the beginning of the Christian life. You can't start, you can't continue, or end the journey uh, with Jesus without these two things. So we're going to simply ask, what can we learn from each of them about these elements? How can we see Jesus in them? Because ultimately, Jesus is our only hope. You repent of your sins, asking Jesus to forgive you. You put your faith in Jesus as you continue to journey with him on the way. To have him is to have life. Uh, and repentance and faith are necessities for getting us there. So first, repentance. Uh, and I would just draw your attention to Psalm 120. What does this teach us about the starting point in the Christian life? Because repentance is the starting point. Um, he begins the, uh, the psalm by saying, In my distress I call to the Lord. And so as you think about that, uh, it's easy to, well, easy, easy to know life is full of distress. Lots of distress, particularly in the time we live in. We've been living under immense distress uh, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, so the question is, who do you call on when you are in distress? What's your knee-jerk reaction to being in distress? Well, what's causing this writer distress? He's not where he's supposed to be. So his location is off. His location is bad. His location is causing him distress but he's also not behaving as he's supposed to be. Uh, and so both his location and his behavior are causing him distress. Now, if, if you're on the way, if you're going to journey with God, you have to acknowledge you're not, where, you're not yet where you need to be. You're not home. Uh, the world as we know it, full of lies and violence, among a lot of other things, remind us that we aren't home. And repentance is a state of mind that says, I need to be where God is. I need to be where God's presence is. It's not necessarily an emotion, although there are emotions wrapped up in it. It's not feeling sorry for your sins per se. It's the beginning of acknowledging a real homesickness. Uh, it makes sense why this is the first psalm of the section. Part of what made the journey to Jerusalem so powerful for the Jews was that they were in a real way going home. And so as they would come back to Jerusalem for these festivals, they would come from all over. Uh, but there was a sense in which they were going to the place that was made for them and that they were made for, right? So they had to ask themselves, have I made my home someplace else? Have I, have I made my, my home in a place that's captured my imagination and my thoughts and my affections more than the place where God was, more than God himself? Uh, and this is a big deal in the Bible. Uh, again, if you're new to the Bible, 
uh, new to Christianity uh, or all of this, uh, you, you try to make sense of it. Well, in the beginning, God made a beautiful home. In the beginning of the story, uh, Gen- in uh, the first couple of pages of the Bible, you read about a beautiful home, a garden paradise, and human beings chose to leave it. God bids their return over and over again. He bids them to come back over and over again. That's what the rest of the story of the Bible is about after Genesis chapter 3. Most graphically, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we get God himself leaving home in order to make it possible for us to return to it. So to be human is to know the grief of some paradise lost, to, to know the ache of a nostalgia. In fact, the word nostalgia comes from two Greek words, homecoming and pain. And so there's this ache, right? There's this sickness of a lost country. And you, you know what I'm talking about. You feel it because you know when it feels right. You know when things feel good and okay, when you're satisfied. Uh, but those are fleeting. You long for them and want them to return. And yet oftentimes they don't, or they do very infrequently. And Christianity starts with, uh, begins with repentance. It's saying, enough already. Enough of trying to manage my life, enough of trying to be my own God, enough lies. The world is full of them, and I believe them. I want to go home. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. He answered me. Repentance is a practical renouncing of all we do and say that is opposed to God, opposed to God's reality. Repentance is is a renouncing of seeking to create a reality and craft a life that is apart from God, opposed to God. It's the first words recorded for both John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the starting point for starting on the way to Christianity. And so, again, uh, if you're new to Christianity or you're tuning in and, and you're maybe maybe a, a friend or a neighbor uh, who attends City Church has invited you, right, and, and, and encouraged you to, to watch, I would say, have you repented? Have you started there? Well, if you go a little bit further in the psalm, down to verse 5, he says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. What in the world is he talking about? Well, these are two kind of far ends of the, of the spectrum of geography. You have Meshech, which is all the way over in Arabia, and then you have Kedar, which is even further uh, up toward the, the Black Sea, the furthest reaches way away from home for a Hebrew. And so it's saying, woe is me that I have made my home far, far away from the place where God dwells, the world away from God. And so I would ask you, where have you found yourself saying lately, too long? It's just been too long. Where are you exhausted? I think we all are for various reasons, not being able to see each other, not being able to see family, not being able to do a lot of the things that we're used to doing. And funny enough, it's exhausting to just sit and have to not do anything. Repentance is saying, along with the psalm, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. As I've said, repentance isn't just for the beginning of the Christian life. It's for all of the Christian life. Wherever you're feeling that sense of too long, the good news of Christianity is you don't have to live there any longer. The invitation of Jesus Christ, even this morning, is repent. He says, repent. He says, turn to me. And when you do that, it'll set us on the way. It'll set you on the way 
to traveling in the light. It rejects one way of life. It embraces another. It leaves one reality on the way to arriving in another. Leaving the world of deceit and lies, hatred and violence and war, he says, too long have I lived in that place. Verse 6, among those who hate peace, I'm for peace. I'm longing for peace. I want peace, he says. But when I speak, they are for war. They are for violence. And to one degree or another, each day we live with the ache for the heavenly country, the world we were made for. But we also each day have a choice. Repentance is a daily habit. And what it means is intentionally refusing to relieve the ache with the false promises that the world makes. Listen to C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have heard of him, a pretty famous apologist, was an atheist, and got converted to Christianity, and he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. It was a series of radio talks that he gave, and he says this in Mere Christianity. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. I'm sure you can relate, or you you know a bit of what he's talking about. But go back to verse 1. Remember, the writer is in distress. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Who do you call when you're in distress? There's a realization for this writer. There's a longing for home. But not only a longing for home, not only is his location bad, but his behavior is, is bad. His behavior is causing him distress. Look at what he says, verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Where do you need deliverance from? We all need deliverance. Repentance assumes there's something that you need to turn from, away from, to be delivered from. Some way of life that doesn't work. And in Jesus, you get an opportunity to be rescued, right? Your greatest problem according to the Bible, isn't your circumstances, it's not your job, your spouse, your health, it's your sin. Uh, when a paralyzed man was brought to Jesus by faithful friends uh, and a story recorded for us in the Gospels, Jesus' words to him were striking. They, they, they're, they're so desperate to get their, uh, their, their physically broken friend to see Jesus, and yet when he sees him, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Everybody's kind of like, why would he say that? That's not what we're here for. But Jesus knew that was his that was his real need. That was his biggest problem. And the good news of the gospel is that, of course, in Jesus Christ, the Lord has delivered us. This writer says, deliver me, O Lord. And in Jesus, we have been delivered because Jesus took our lying lips and our deceitful tongues as his so that we might be delivered from sin. He offers that deliverance to us every day, which is why repentance has to be a daily habit, something that you, you don't just do at the beginning of Christian life, the beginning of becoming a Christian, putting your faith in Jesus, something that you do every single day that you might be delivered. When you're delivered, you're in Jesus, which means rest and peace and joy. It means turning daily to rest and peace and joy away from the things that cause distress. Repentance is a way of life where you get to taste the way things are supposed to be, an experience of home. And yet, as Jesus reminds us, uh, in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so you need the next song, which is faith. 
Psalm 121. Uh, if you've been uh, a Christian for a while or you've been around church, you've probably heard Psalm 121. It's more famous, at least, than Psalm 120. More familiar to us. Uh, but I would ask you this. When you're under threat, where do you look? What's threatening you at the moment? Well, for us as a, as a nation, certainly the coronavirus is a threat. And so as, as that threat becomes real, maybe a family member or a close friend uh, tested positive. Maybe you know someone who's been very, very sick, right? Or maybe they were hospitalized. There's real threats. And so as you face those threats, where do you turn? Where do you look? Well, on the way to Jerusalem, as, as they went up, there were hills. And of course, you can't see over every hill. Uh, there might be robbers hiding above you. And so as they're making their way, again, just in your mind's eye, picture uh, or get a feel for uh, hiking or climbing up toward Jerusalem. And you can't see everything. And so the second song that they would begin to sing was, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I, I need help. Where's it? Who's going to provide it? My help comes from the Lord, right? Faith is, I want to define it this way, uh, simply put, faith is looking to God. A lot of different ways you could define faith, but simply put, faith is looking to God. And so looking at this psalm, uh, it lists three potential dangers and follows them with a description of how the Lord helps us. So let's look briefly at, at, at each one of those. First, slips and falls, right? Uh, he talks about slips and falls. Traveling on foot can be dangerous, of course, uh, if you've ever hiked. Uh, or wherever, um, uh, taking, a, taking a path, you're walking along, you slip on a rock, you sprain your ankle, right? Uh, it's, it can be dangerous, but the psalm says, he will not let your foot be moved. Well, are we to conclude that Christians don't get sprained ankles? Don't experience accidents? I don't think it's saying that. It can't be saying that. In fact, plenty of Christians I know have had those things happen. So either I'm wrong and they're not Christians, or the psalm's wrong. Uh, or, or maybe neither one is true, actually. So know this, the psalm, this psalm, in fact, the entire Bible doesn't promise a well-cushioned life, but it promises a well-armed life. You're armed because he, the Lord, arms you. He's with you, right? That's just one of the many promises of this psalm. It's, it's reasoning with us for why we should look to the Lord and only to the Lord for our help. It's trying to wrestle us toward faith. Look to the Lord because he's worth looking to. Simply put, faith is looking to God. Listen again to Eugene Peterson. He says, faith is not a precarious affair of chance, escape from satanic assaults. It is, this is a great sentence, it is the solid, massive, secure experience of God who keeps all evil from getting inside of us. He keeps our life, right? It's great news. Not only slips and falls, he mentions heat, exhaustion, anxiety, right? This is the Middle East, right? It's hot, uh, at least at times. And these people are traveling on foot. Traveling on foot under the blaring sun. It can get, it can get tiring. Maybe you get sunburned. Maybe you get fatigued. Those of us living in Florida, we can appreciate being sunburned, right? But our lives have heat applied to them all the time, right? Lots of different sources of heat, lots of stress. We have pressure situations at work, deadlines to meet, homework to do, bills to pay. Do Christians not experience those things? Well, of course they do. 
The psalm is saying, as we look to God, the Lord is my shade. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, he says. Because the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade. And so as you look to him, heat and exhaustion and anxiety, well, they're real experiences. But as you experience them, you experience them as you look to him. And he relieves them, provides rest for you in the midst of them. But not only slips and falls, heat, exhaustion, anxiety, but evil itself. Evil itself. Uh, he says, the Lord, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yes, none of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter, have any power to get between you and God. Uh, and this is particularly important if you're investigating Christianity. We're not sure yet whether you uh, are a Christian. Kind of kind of skeptical. Because there's so much evil, right? So much distress. So many disappointments. Uh, and, and I would say, even as I thought about this, back in uh, January, my brother-in-law, a uh, very healthy guy, uh, went to the doctor with some back pain. Uh, they did some blood tests on him, and they said, uh, you need to go see a blood specialist like tomorrow. Uh, and it turns out he had a very aggressive uh, uh, leukemia. Uh, and and the, the amount of leukemia in his body was somewhere in the high 90 percentile. Uh, and he had to uh, undergo some a pretty extensive chemo very quickly, right? Well, done some reflecting on that, and I know he has too. We've talked about this. Leukemia can certainly threaten your life. It has the ability to separate you from your family and your friends. But here's what the psalm is saying. It has no power to separate you from the Lord, your keeper. Leukemia is no match for the hurricane blast of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the psalmist can say, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. In each instance, the psalmist is describing the Lord as a keeper. Six times, in fact, in this psalm, does he describe him that way. And if a word is repeated that many times in just a few verses, it's a pretty important word. The idea of keeping, uh, you, you hear of keepers of bees, keepers of sheep, keepers of various animals, right? Well, what's the idea of keeping? Well, let me just read some of these and listen to them. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper, your shade. Literally, you live in his shadow, under his shadow. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in. There is an intimacy a careful attention because the Lord that it's describing is a Lord who maintains, a Lord who preserves, a Lord who watches over, a Lord who defends, a Lord who takes care of, he tends, he supports. There is no God like the Lord. He's personal. He's present. And so again, looking to him, faith, faith in a personal and present father is strong enough to withstand any foot slipping, any sunburn any heat, any evil, and only Christianity offers that. So if you're distressed, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, again, let me invite you, repent this morning and look to him by putting your faith in him uh, right now uh, is a great time given 
all the distress. He is personal and present. There's no God like him. And the promise of the Bible is that the Christian life will end well, but there's no promise that it will necessarily always go well. In fact, I, I shouldn't expect that my Father in heaven is going to shield me from hardship if he even led his own son, the Lord Jesus, into suffering. But what I can trust, and what the Bible is very clear about, is that he will use that those experiences to redeem, to shape, and to draw me deeper into Jesus. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 11, we rejoice in our suffering, which sounds weird. Sounds a little, a little crazy until he finishes. He says, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. Don't you want those things? Endurance, character, hope. Only Christianity can offer those to, to the depth that we really need them, right? Only Christianity can arm you with those. And as you look to the Lord, your keeper in faith, only he can equip you for the uncertainties and the troubles of life, the slips and the falls, the anxieties, the heat, the evil itself that we encounter. Again, uh, from Eugene Peterson, the promise of the psalm is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purpose in us. And that's where I want to end. Uh, every one of us, every one of us is currently facing something, some situation, some person maybe even, that we look at and we, we think, I'm not really sure how this is going to go. I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out. Maybe Maybe that thought brings excitement and anticipation for you, but maybe it brings fear. Maybe it brings panic. All of us face some level of real-time suffering, and yet the promise of the Bible is that for the Christian, all things work together for good because if God is for us, then who can be against us? Psalm 121 is describing how God is for us. He keeps us in all those ways. But it's the, the last two verses of Paul's letter to Romans, the, the, the eighth chapter, uh, where I want to, to finish today. Because what it does is it gives us the nuclear energy, the, 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 the most powerful energy available, the plutonium, if you will, for the life of faith. It's the assurance that no trouble, no person, no success, no failure, no disease, no death, nothing can separate us from our keeper. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I saw it on the way in, uh, painted on the side of uh, a building here downtown, a picture of the Beatles. So all you need is love. And they were right. That's true. Uh, but it's not the love of another person that's all you need, or the love of the crowds, or the love of whatever. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the love that you need. And his love, as we look at and live in Jesus, delivers us from our sins and keeps us it keeps us secure on the way as we journey toward home. And that's good news. And so uh, I would leave you with that uh, as we continue to walk together as God's people 
portable, even in the midst of a distressing and disorienting time. So let me pray.